Welcome to the Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Network. Here's your host, Luke McCormack. Good afternoon and welcome to the Federal Executive Forum celebrating 17 years of profiling excellence in government IT mission programs. I'm Luke McCormack. During today's show, we will discuss best practices with machine learning and artificial intelligence strategies in the federal government. With me on today's show are Major General John Olson, Department of the Air Force Chief Data and AI Officer, Tim Persons, Chief Scientist and Managing Director, Science Technology Assessment and Analytics, U.S. Government Accountability Office, Jeffrey Phelan, Public Sector Growth Lead, H2O AI, Saeed Masood, Federal Systems Engineer, Fortinet Federal Incorporated, and Paul Dillahay, President and CEO, Empower AI. We are talking artificial intelligence. We are talking machine learning. And we have a, an interesting title for the general here. You typically don't see chief data officer and AI officer in the same subject, but it certainly makes sense. Tell us how that, uh, the origins of that, and tell us the state of the state of both of those topics well, at the Air Force. Well, thank you. It's, uh, it's, it's really an exciting opportunity for us. Of course, this is the first time that we've had a chief data and AI officer for the Department of the Air Force. We've got a $194 billion enterprise portfolio that's really focused on airspace and cyberspace. And, you know, given that about 80 to 85 percent of AI ML readiness is really data wrangling and mungling and formatting and metadata tagging and cleansing and data integrity validation. This is a this is a, a synergistic partnership. So we put those two together to advance the missions of the Department of the Air Force and the broader Department of Defense. So this is the first year. Uh, I'm the first uh, I'm the first person to uh, hold this position, but we're working very closely also with the new Office of Secretary of Defense or OSD CDAO, and their their acronym is the Chief Digital and AI Office. But together we implement and amplify those broader DoD. Uh, objectives and initiatives, and, and we're really excited about the work that we've been doing all year and, and so much more to come. It's, it's certainly an interesting combination, and um, uh, when you, uh, you don't typically see it in the title, but once you uh, start to talk about it, it certainly makes a lot of sense. Tim, you are yep. the Managing Director of the Science and Technology. Um, um, I often think about GAO, and, and obviously they're imparting uh, wisdom and, and uh, and information to the members. What actually does the science and technology and assessment uh, organization do? And then how does the AI piece fit into that? Yeah, thanks, Luke. So uh, great to be here this morning with you and especially with these esteemed colleagues. Uh, my team at GAO is focused on uh, really the, 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 what I call the three ITs, the oversight, the insight and the foresight with respect to all things science and technology. So uh, GAO is classically known as uh, the watchdog for the Congress. And so we're the nonpartisan, fact-based, non-ideological uh, analysis and oversight, the audit arm uh, for um, the legislative branch. Uh, and that is certainly something we do in terms of overseeing science and technology issues and programs. But also, uh, really, uh, if you believe the adages we do, the, that uh, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, uh, we really do a lot in the technology and science foresight uh, space. 
And so what that means is uh, we're looking uh, prospectively at technologies, especially something as disruptive uh, as AI. And that that sounds like a negative term, but sometimes it's just change for the sake of, uh, of how we need to do our mission. And so we both oversee AI issues in the federal government and we're practitioners of AI, especially on my team with respect to our uh, digital sciences and digital services oriented innovation lab. Mm -hmm. So uh, we are doers, analyzers, and then foresighters with respect to AI because it is so uh, transformative. So looking across all federal programs and then also uh, doing it ourselves just to improve the mission of oversight for Congress. Uh, certainly. And uh, uh, when your organization is doing the tech foraging, uh, and getting a lot of that insight, you know, perhaps there is some regulations that need to be associated to that. So uh, we're uh, delighted to see that uh, you all are on the uh, the forefront of examining that technology. Jeffrey, um, H2O.AI, uh, somewhat new to the public sector, but certainly not new to AI. There's been some heavy lifting going on there for quite some time. Give us a sort of a top line state of the state. Yeah, thanks, Luke. Yeah, we're um, really one of the pioneers in the space. We've been around since 2012. And to Tim's point, you know, we're real practitioners. We're data scientists that are in there every day, really working through the practical physics of wrangling data and then really getting insight out of it. We're the largest provider of open source software in the world for AI and ML. And so typically in the commercial space, Anywhere there's a billion dollar analytics problem, there's a very good chance that uh, H2O AI is running under the hood. So we really have a very practical understanding of the physics of the environment, what's going on, digital transformation. Um, we tend to red pill our partners and customers a little bit so they have realistic expectations in terms of how to make this an enterprise capability. Um, and I think to the general's point, um, once you get through all the data wrangling, you now have business leaders and data scientists and engineers that are all really trying to impact the mission now. And so our, from our perspective, we're experts in getting into, produ into production. Eight of the 10 largest banks in the world are using us, uh, and particularly in areas where you have real-time sensor and data requirements. So this is an area we've just stood up our public sector practice uh, about nine months ago. Mm -hmm. And what we're trying to do is bring best practices into the mission space, but really do that with a lot of very, very practical experience over 10 years of experience where we can help level set expectations and communicate with all the stakeholders um, within the organization, because as you're building trust, and capability, you've got to make sure everyone's on the same page, the confidence level's there, and this is something that uh, we feel we can really be very helpful with. Eight of the 10 banks certainly um, uh, appreciate the fact that heavily regulated industry there, uh, which I think helps sort of, uh, as you you sort of port and migrate your way into the, uh, the public sector, no question, I'm sure you're involved with uh, many of the other regulated sectors as well. So it seems like a nice fit. We're glad to see that that capability is making its way into uh, some much needed use cases. Paul, um, let's talk about uh, Empower AI and sort of how you fit into this picture. Sure, thanks Luke and good morning and, and appreciate the opportunity to talk to you on behalf of, of the Empower AI team. Um, you know, we are a 33 year old company 
And much to what Jeffrey was just saying, our focus is on operational AI, meaning that we're here to try and enable our customers solve some of their most critical problems and elevate them, leveraging machine learning, robotic process automation, and, and natural language processing and, others, and other solutions. Um, we are, we've been investing in AI for five years and our business model is a little different than the traditional model I think that folks have. So we sell our solutions as AI as a service. We bundle up the, the technology with the domain expertise um, and then the, the, the configuration and deployment and then ongoing maintenance and metrics and monitoring of, of the solutions all in one easy purchase. Um, but really, the, the the whole the beauty of that model is it's simplistic for our customers to acquire. Um, they don't have to deal with a product vendor, uh, um, um, you know, a third party um, to implement it, et cetera. So um, we're excited about the approach and think that the technologies that, that we're bringing to market are really um, helping address some of the customer's biggest concerns. Right. And uh, I, I love the idea of sort of as a service, that is something that is of great interest to the the, the uh, sort of the federal uh, sector uh, entities, because it's it just just uh, uh, to, to not have to Lego block all that stuff together, so to speak, and just be able to use the capability makes a lot of sense. An interesting uh, angle there. So looking forward to that. So I add, uh, we have uh, Fortinet on here and some might look at that and say, wait a minute. Why do we have a security company on a uh, AI and ML show? And uh, of course, we know why. So uh, why don't you explain that to us and give us a, a top line state of the state? Yeah, absolutely. So this is fantastic hearing everybody's perspective on machine learning and AI. As you mentioned, Fortinet is a uh, cybersecurity focused uh, company. We've been around since 2000. AI is not something that we just started doing. You know, we picked up on it about 10 plus years ago. What was happening was when we're deploying so many next-gen firewalls and other cybersecurity solutions across the globe, we found that the volume of malware and other threat, you know, data coming in was just not, you know, humanly not possible to handle. So our PhotoGuard research labs they decided to establish a practice where AI and machine learning will be leveraged quite a bit. So to handle that, you know, they started looking at uh, a AI-based solution, which basically gets fed with data from millions of nodes. And that led to uh, Fortinet really bring out a solution called Fortinet Network Detection and Response, uh, basically built in with multiple um, attack scenarios, billions of you know known features, millions of malware samples. So looking, taking all that into consideration, now they're able to handle the significant volume of malware, be it business email compromise, be it uh, new and emerging threats, zero days. Uh, so our researchers, rule writers are able to handle that, write rules against that, and update all our solutions that are deployed globally so that's where we are from an AI and machine learning perspective, leveraging it, you know, pretty much throughout our portfolio and trying to assist and help our customers in the federal government space. A uh, really important piece of technology. We talk about the needle in the haystack and we're really talking about needles in a stack of needles here. And I think the only way to, to deal with the, uh, the adversary angle is to have uh, things operating at machine speed. No question about that. 
General, um, let's go back to you. I can't imagine the volume of data that is being collected uh, every moment uh, across the Air Force and Space Force spectrum. And certainly uh, a lot of this technology is being used to sort of distill that. Um, why don't you give us an example, if you will, of where you're really trying to focus your attention, maybe a program that uh, you want to highlight here? Well, indeed, thank you. It, it is a tremendous challenge, but we see tremendous opportunity in this as well, because as you've heard all the rest of uh, my esteemed colleagues here, uh, we're really focused on the same thing, operationalization of data and AI ML readiness. And that's really for the purpose of driving information advantage and decision advantage. So taking data, driving data-driven decisions, and then uh, having actionable outcomes. And, and so as we look at the global enterprise view across the Department of the Air Force, certainly we don't have just one uh, significant AI or ML um, a, a program. We have a plethora of them, and, and, and that's growing almost exponentially. We see data and AI ML uh, readiness and the operationalization of that is critical, almost ubiquitous part of everything that we do, not only now, but as we evolve to the future. Some examples of that would include in the areas of maintenance, uh, looking at predictive and preventative maintenance and, and, and the analytics to drive uh, to drive that. Uh, as we look at our, our, our important training areas, we, we leverage uh, AI and uh, in, in doing our scheduling for our air crew and, 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 and aircraft scheduling. We also use it in the space realm as we look at all the imagery. Um, we look at change detection or space domain awareness. These are hugely intensive uh, areas. Similar to that is intelligence surveillance reconnaissance where we're collecting a huge amount of information, uh, whether they be imagery or, 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 or uh, other types of, of, of intelligence uh, data content. And so as we look at these writ large, whether it's in the people systems, whether it's in the mission systems, we also look at enhancing and making our airmen and guardian that much more effective. So we, we, we do a lot of human machine teaming and we're working uh, as, as uh, the application of that into wingman AI. That's another big initiative for us, as well as uh, collaborative combat aircraft or CCA, that's the human machine teaming to add to the, uh, the capabilities uh, in a family of systems approach. So collectively across this broad spectrum, this is an extraordinary uh, time in that we're seeing not only uh, the nascent uh, incredible impacts uh, in a positive way on our missions, uh, but we see this as a time of growth. We're learning at a very rapid pace, and we're also applying that. So I think you've also heard this is part of our broader digital transformation, part of our uh, leveraging the enterprise IT capabilities, leveraging the data, data savvy workforce, leveraging the AI ML readiness, which really starts with that entire portfolio of, of, of capabilities. And so that's what we're totally focused on in the Department of the Air Force. Sure. We really do appreciate that. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. You've been listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. 
H2O.AI is the trusted AI provider to more than 20,000 global organizations and 1 million data scientists. A strong AI for good ethos and responsible AI drive the company's purpose. Our goal is to get artificial intelligence capabilities into the hands of operators and analysts and believe that if agencies can execute a democratized artificial intelligence strategy, that they will actually achieve mission outcomes faster, better, and smarter. Our tools empower data scientist teams to develop machine learning models quickly, accurately, and responsibly, and make those capabilities available to their organizations. Learn more at h2o.ai slash solutions slash industry slash government. For federal cybersecurity professionals, the mission is clear. Defend U.S. government networks, data, and people. As a leading American cybersecurity company, Fortinet Federal is focused on trusted cybersecurity for government everywhere you need it. Prepare your agency for what's next with integrated solutions that scale, secure, and simplify to your IT environment. Explore innovative and advanced cybersecurity options at FortinetFederal.com. That's FortinetFederal.com. Com. Empower AI is AI for government. We bring the power of artificial intelligence to federal agencies, drawing from decades of mission experience to meet the unique demands of the federal government. From customized hyper-automation tools to complex machine learning algorithms, our proven AI technology can provide your agency with the insights to make important decisions faster and your team more productive. Elevate your mission with Empower AI. To learn more, visit www.empower.com. AI. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. We're talking about AI and machine learning. Sayad, uh, let's talk about a specific program that we'd like to focus on. Uh, you all are uh, in a unique position where you're, you're really striped across all of these various agencies. Give us one program that you'd like to highlight. Yeah, sure. Um... Absolutely. The, uh, you know, the, we all know, and as the general talked about significant, you know, month by month, you know, you know, improvements taking place. We're experiencing the same thing. Uh, we're going out in, in the field and finding out there's a shortage of staff, uh, experienced staff, people with limited cybersecurity knowledge and, you know, security operations teams are just struggling to get the right people in the right places. And, and trying to get them to defend, you know, our country, our assets, our, you know, crown jewels. So what we've done is based on AI and ML, we've come out with a, a uh, functionality within our Fortinet's network detection response solution. The functionality is called Virtual Security Analyst. Basically, it is uh, taking care of between five to 10 human security, cybersecurity experts and, you know, leveraging this Virtual Security Analyst approach and saying, okay, if we didn't have enough people, can we take this VSA, virtual security analyst, have all the intelligence built in and then provide the needed help that the agencies need? If deployed adequately, if deployed in the right places, we feel that we can take care of this massively expand, you know, expanding you know, attack surface. So if we can take data, virtual security analysts is deployed, you know, we're looking at all the attack vectors and then leveraging AI and ML, being able to identify, hey, what the threat is, is it a malware, is it a downloader, is it a type of, uh, you know, uh, a business email compromise, what is it that's being, you know, leveraged here to attack this organization. So if virtual security analyst is deployed adequately, we feel that we have near, nobody has a silver bullet, uh, we, we absolutely believe in that, however, we feel if you have multiple layers of 
cybersecurity solutions placed adequately, including the virtual security analyst, we should be able to really reduce the attacks that are taking place as we speak. It sounds like maybe even uh, do some uh, some automated response to some of the analysis. Is that what I'm hearing? Absolutely, you're spot on there. Um, you know, automated response, right? That's why I said network detect detection and response. So we're detecting the threats and responding in an automated fashion. You're absolutely right. Right, which I know is a little scary to folks, but I, I think the reality is done carefully and done thoughtfully and uh, and done in a, in a very calculated and measured way. It absolutely makes sense, right? To take some of that sort of, uh, it's almost enhanced RPA, if you will, off the table so that these folks can focus on the real uh, high order, uh, uh, high value type of um, situations that we need the human, so to speak, to focus their attention on. Yes, Tim. Thank, um, you. thank you for, I just wanted to add one more comment. Sure, sure. Brought it up. You're absolutely right. This solution comes built in with a database of features that are looking at various attack scenarios or vectors. Also has a database that doesn't have anything in it, but its purpose in life is to listen and learn when it's deployed in the environment. So if it sees something unusual, it will detect it mm -hmm. and say, okay, this is a behavior that's not normal. Uh, and But is it really not normal or is it something that's normal for this agency? So that helps you reduce the uh, you know false positives. Just wanted to mention that here. Sure, so, uh, uh, flag it. Tim, actually, we're going to come back to you in a minute. I want to ask Paul, um, uh, very interested to know at this point uh, where you've actually deployed that uh, sort of AI as a service. I know you all are doing a lot of work across the federal agencies. Can you give us an, a specific example of where you all have been able to successfully implement that? Sure, Luke, I appreciate the question. Um, actually, in a several several instances, but our largest program, um, which is an enterprise digital transformation program at GSA, is an example of where that enterprise, um, the AI as a service model is being deployed. Um, our focus is really on human-centered design and trying to make our team's uh, efforts, you know, more, more enhanced, more valuable to the customer. Um, and if you think about having almost, you know, 300 folks on program who are, um, you know, engaging in customer service activities for that agency, our goal is to just try and make that as simplistic, shorten decision cycle times, um, provide them with the most, the most practical responses, um, all at the, you know, an accelerated speed. Um, and with greater value to our customer. Sure, and uh, I would imagine that, uh, again, having this, I'll say, packaged up in a way that uh, you can acquire it as a service, you know, there's a lot of uh, financial advantages for doing that from a federal service standpoint. I don't think anyone would imagine that they were using this sort of as a service. Typically, they're thinking about it sort of embedded into some other kind of service. So, uh, I really do appreciate the uh, the offering, if you will, uh, to the uh, the federal sector. Tim, now we're going to roll up to you. Um, you gave us a great explanation about uh, sort of why and where uh, you all are doing this uh, these various assessments. How about an example of where you all have been forging this technology and then uh, uh, perhaps um, um, uh, uh, imparting some wisdom to the members and then perhaps a reaction back from them or just tell us how this works. Give us an example of where you all have been, uh, uh, you know, uh, examining this technology and enlightening yeah, the thank, members. 
Sure. Thanks, Luke. Um, I really do think I, I really like what the general laid out in terms of the there's a lot of this really is about better decisions, faster decisions, more data informed decisions. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, I, I am a science guy. I love the sci-fi movies, but unfortunately the vacuum that's been filled in on AI is always this apocalyptic thing. Either we're all going to lose our jobs or we're all going to get destroyed by killbots. Both of those are, we're, we're very far from anything even close to that. This really is about augmentation. So I think, I think of AI as an augmentation uh, of intelligence and really helping with these things. So uh, for us at GAO, we are really about converting data into uh, knowledge and ultimately we wanna inform our members and support wisdom uh, so that better laws get passed or better oversight occurs. Uh, and so data is the basis of that. And that's how we sort of think about our value chain of what we're doing uh, on that. So one of the things you mentioned foraging, Luke, of the technology, we have foraged. Uh, we're using cloud native tooling sets and things like that to, mm -hmm. to leverage the power of cloud as we have transformed ourselves from an on-prem IT or we're still in that process, but setting up our innovation lab, we're able to have a greenfield startup. Uh, so I, I think that um, in that uh, domain, we've been able to do some incredible things with relatively little, very powerful. One example is that um, we've both foraged the technology from cloud native IT, but also forged uh, in terms of taking those and making a new tool set. So we've been uh, basically we've created our own for GAO, our own writing style, our own version of uh, Grammarly or, or a tool like that to help out. And the reason is because we have to be stewards of federal data of all types across the government. We can't send our data out uh, as is with that, that system out to some unknown cloud that we have no control of. We have no idea what's being used. So we're able to, with uh, just relatively few uh, of our data scientists, put together quickly a prototype that does that understands and speaks and, and understands writing in GAO's way and then helps even uh, do sentiment analysis because we are a, a nonpartisan agency. That's very important. Uh, our job isn't to take any sides in the political sphere, but where our job is to inform that. So we have sentiment analysis going on through natural language processing. We have the grammatical checking, and we also need to write to a certain level, especially when I'm the managing director of a team with a lot of really smart science and engineer types, right? Almost doing a translational service into our lawmakers uh, who are very, uh, sharp and know their issues, but oftentimes don't know science or engineering. How do we write in such a way that makes it accessible? So that's very important to us. That's it's, uh, a seemingly small example, but something that with NLP, uh, AI-enabled, data-fueled type things, we're really uh, changing uh, for the better how we're serving our clients. Yeah, it's interesting because what I hear, I think I hear you saying is you're actually using AI to inform the lawmakers about AI, which is fascinating. Um, yes. Uh, so, yeah. So that's a uh, it's a uh, it's a very interesting concept there, Jeffrey. Let's talk about uh, a use case, an example, if you will. Um, uh, I know you all are fairly new to the federal sector. I think you have done some work in that place, but you have extensive experience again in very highly regulated uh, industries as well. That there's no question those port over and make a lot of sense. So uh, yeah, give us an example of some programs you'd like to highlight. Well, um, as you can imagine, with a lot of the experience we have in the banking and the financial sector, fraud detection is a huge use case for us. So you can think of the uh, of 
all of the different agencies in the government right now that are very concerned about financial fraud uh, around the pandemic. Uh, it's tax season. And so one of the things that we're really good at is helping organizations understand, and the general use the term, I think, speed of uh, uh, the, the data, the way they want to act. We need to be able to do things in real time. And there are a lot of really, really good analytics, a lot of historical capabilities uh, and knowledge that the government has. And what we want to do is help advance that, not replace it. And so, for example, PayPal, um, we do a ton of work with PayPal, and they've got years and years and years of real-time fraud analytics and capabilities, yet they still wanted to improve that. And so they brought H2O to come in, and we reviewed a lot of that data. And through uh, our platform, we're able to tune and improve that model where they were able to get almost a 60% increase um, in detection rates. So when you're operating at that kind of scale and you can begin to bring that over into the government, um, now you're really moving the needle candidly, right? And I think part of what we're helping organizations understand, and you know, Tim talked about the grammar part and how they're using natural language processing, we're noticing in a lot of organizations, they're really, really good people that tend to be still fairly stovepipe. So your image and out uh, analysts are working in certain workflows and certain tools and they've got capabilities and your natural language processing people are similarly organized. And so there's a fair amount of time that's spent helping those teams communicate and collaborate. And what we're trying to help them understand is that there are unified capabilities. So you can combine image and audio and video analysis, deep learning, neural networks, natural language processing, big data analysis, all done in parallel, things that an individual data scientist could never do, um, or you certainly couldn't, you don't have the budget to put build a team out like that. And these are things that are occurring in uh, in the commercial space that we're now bringing over in to these environments. So things that historically would be only retrospective, only done in large batches, uh, things that would take months are literally now taking seconds and minutes. And so, you know, candidly, our challenge, Luke, is, um, helping the data scientists understand what's going on under the hood. They've spent years convincing their business owners that they can trust the data. Mm -hmm. Now, when you go in to a data scientist and they normally spend a month doing something and you can do it in 10 minutes, the first thing they want to do is they want to trust your results. So it's really interesting to see that dynamic. And so what's great is, is we're completely white box, totally transparent, go through the math, and I think helping organizations and the government understand we can move much more quickly and robustly is as what really is what's been exciting. I mean, people get really, really pumped when we're able to walk them through, show them what the art of the possible is and help them punch through some of these bottlenecks. So getting them a low code, no code capability. So, um, you know, quickly we did a we, we had a use case with some folks in the DOD where they had teams of people working for months to build models and we were able to come in and effectively build 500 models for them in a couple of days. And this completely changed how they interacted with the data, how they interrogated it, using the no-code, low-code environment to now drop demographics out very quickly, have dashboards and communicate um, results. So this is exciting. And you know, you've got these problem sets, both in the Air Force, the DOD, the stuff that Tim's doing. Uh, we've done a little bit of work with Taka Riga and that team. That's a really smart group of folks, and they're doing mm -hmm. a lot of really interesting things most people don't know about. Right, sure. And uh, a lot of good use cases there, and uh, we really do appreciate uh, all that getting ported in, again, from the private sector into the public sector in the most needed uh, area. 
Uh, General, let me ask you about uh, your priorities for this year. You have a lot of different moving parts going on. I know you're, you're, there, there's got to be uh, a top two or three priorities that you absolutely are trying to achieve in regards to AI for this year. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that question. Well, as I said before, our North Star, our absolute North Star driving vision is to operationalize data and AI ML readiness for information and decision advantage. But what does that really mean? Uh, that means becoming a global leader in, in, in responsible AI and the, and, the, and, and, and the ethical application. We, we view this as the three R's, responsible AI, robust AI, and resilient AI. And I think when you look at the national security, the integrated deterrence environment, uh, and the warfighting capacity that we must have uh, as part of our broader uh, mission responsibilities, those three R's of AI, again, responsible, resilient, and robust AI, those are essential uh, to succeeding in this, in, in this foray. We're aiming at AI readiness by 2025. And again, that is having a digitally savvy workforce, having the training data sets, having the enterprise IT, all the associated foundational training and, and readiness and infrastructure elements, and then uh, putting it to play. And that's also then focused on AI leadership and being AI competitive in 2027. And that nicely aligns with our Secretary of the Air Force operational imperatives. He has seven that has laid down the vanguard, the future capabilities that are absolutely essential uh, to compete and win against our uh, uh, against the global competitors and adversaries that we um, we must be prepared to uh, uh, execute our missions against. So this is really the context that is driving everything that we're doing. We're laser focused on that. Uh, we've seen a significant increase, not in just funding, but also personnel. But we view this as an absolute team sport. So uh, as you've heard, this is, an, this is an industry and an academia and an interagency effort. We believe that tying together all the joint services, expanding to and across the whole of government, but most importantly, it's a whole of nation approach. And that's tying in the rich capabilities, the incredible intellectual capacity, the diversity, the entrepreneurial and innovative uh, capacity of our industrial base in the United States and across our international partners and allies. So that's really our focus. And we're working diligently on that every day. This has got the view all the way to the top. The Deputy Secretary of Defense uh, has, has uh, AI ML readiness and, and responsible AI as the number two defense priority. And our Secretary of the Air Force and Undersecretary of the Air Force are also absolutely uh, focused on this as an enterprise ubiquitous capability that we must have to succeed. Um, no question that you've got an absolute laser focus on the North Star, and we really do appreciate that. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. Empower AI is AI for government. We bring the power of artificial intelligence to federal agencies, drawing from decades of mission experience to meet the unique demands of the federal government. From customized hyper-automation tools to complex machine learning algorithms, our proven AI technology can provide your agency with the insights to make important decisions faster and your team more productive. Elevate your mission with Empower AI. To learn more, visit www.empower.ai. For federal cybersecurity professionals, the mission is clear. Defend U.S. government networks, data, and people. 
As a leading American cybersecurity company, Fortinet Federal is focused on trusted cybersecurity for government everywhere you need it. Prepare your agency for what's next with integrated solutions that scale, secure, and simplify to your IT environment. Explore innovative and advanced cybersecurity options at FortinetFederal.com. That's FortinetFederal.com. H2O.AI is the trusted AI provider to more than 20,000 global organizations and 1 million data scientists. A strong AI for good ethos and responsible AI drive the company's purpose. Our goal is to get artificial intelligence capabilities into the hands of operators and analysts and believe that if agencies can execute a democratized artificial intelligence strategy, that they will actually achieve mission outcomes faster, better, and smarter. Our tools empower data scientist teams to develop machine learning models quickly, accurately, and responsibly, and make those capabilities available to their organizations. Learn more at h2o.ai slash solutions slash industry slash government. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. We are talking about AI and machine learning. We're going to start talking about priorities and teeing those up. And uh, Paul, let me start with you. Uh, top priority for you all this year. There really are two priorities for us this year that we're focused on. One is helping our customers with the challenge of adoption. And Tim mentioned earlier some of the concerns around um, is AI you know, going to replace the existing workforce? And what I think we have to really help our customers understand is the, the augmentation aspect of, of what we're really trying to do. Um, and that it's it's really trying to empower the humans to do what they do best, those cognitive decision-making aspects of, of their life, as opposed to the remedial tasks. And so to the extent, whether that's uh, gathering data, transaction uh, processing transactions, we really want to help them understand um, the augmentation aspect of it. Um, and that kind of fits into part two, which is there's been a recent study that says 65% of the federal workforce um, is burned out and another 49% are contemplating leaving government. Um, and that is truly some staggering statistics. Um, and, and I think you can take the technologies that are being discussed today um, and, and even take that augmentation to the next level to make it so that people are more effective in their jobs, they can address that burnout challenges that they have, and then hopefully effectively doing that, it will, it'll address some of that attrition risk that's, that's underlying um, the, the, the industry today. So I, I really think those two things hand in hand with the way that we go to market um, focused on domain expertise and, and as a service will really help our customers um, in their journey. Love the idea of uh, lowering the burnout uh, factor. Uh, super important. A lot of federal employees out there really working really hard and their partners, quite frankly. Uh, Sayad, um, top priority for Fortinet Federal this year. Yes. Um, so Fortinet Federal and Fortinet as a whole, uh, we're constantly trying to make sure that security is front and center of all organizations. Uh, we cannot continue on basically we have to operate with the mindset that there is a breach and you know it's you know the bad guys are already inside right so if we have that mindset then i think we can prioritize um, cybersecurity with, to, without too much difficulty so what we're doing is um you 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 need to understand and leverage uh machine learning artificial intelligence based on you know artificial neural networks, deep learning networks, right? So you have to understand that you have a lot of data points. 
millions of data points, right? You have to feed your your engine, your AI engine, you know, with all these, you know, data points, and then try to figure out what are your actionable items. So what we've done is we've taken this approach and we're trying to go out to our customers and make them understand, as Paul mentioned, that hey, there is, we're not trying to take jobs away, but we're trying to bring in AI. Uh, to help you get to the verdict, get to detect and respond. Uh, just, just imagine, you know, you have five analysts sitting there trying to figure out what to do with these hundred thousand files. What we have is we have a solution that can detect and provide you a verdict of hundred thousand files um, per hour. There is nothing out there that can help you do that. So, with this in mind, our priority is basically very, very straightforward. Leverage the technologies that are available to you, understand how they help you, and protect your assets and protect the nation. And do it instantaneously. I love it. Tim, top priority for you at the GAO. Yeah, thanks. So, um, yeah, I, the top priority, there's there's a couple I'll mention, but the, the top sure. one for sure uh, really builds on what Paul was saying. I like how he laid out the issues. There's, there's burnout and, and so on, because... Uh, we feds have problems, right? And, and we, we're trying to do our job and be a, a greater and better federal workforce. Got a ton of and, responsibility. Uh, yeah. And honestly, you know, it was weird during the early days of the pandemic and working at home. I was mostly sitting around during the day and, and things like that, but I was mentally exhausted mm -hmm. in a way that I hadn't expected, right. um, you know, by the end of the day and, and certainly in, in the pre-2019 uh, work factor. So the top priority really is, uh, you know, the, the problem with AI, in my opinion, the number one problem is that we keep talking about AI. And uh, here's what I mean by that is we need to like shift the conversation from AI, that, which is just a, a technology or a means by which to do something and talk about what problems do we need to solve? Because we can have, uh, you know, we're here at GAO, we're both at the same time, a techno-optimist and techno-skeptic, right? So we have to deal in, in uh, truth and reality and so on. And, and so we've we've built a, our AI accountability framework, right? We understand how to even look at this because we're going to have to evaluate this across every federal program. But all this means is that, Luke, our number one priority is really culture building on this. And it starts with trying to understand what are the problems, right? Why do we have burned out feds? And are there things in their workspace that, frankly, need to be done by a machine. It's going to be more accurate. It's going to be faster. It's going to allow them to be greater and better versions of themselves. It really is a human capital enhancement type approach, not a human capital drain or, or, or dislocation. So really, as hard as the tech and the data and, and the engineering behind that, all this is a challenge. And you need to be, uh, you know, again, have healthy skepticism about this. It's not, it's never going to be an easy button that you push and AI is just going to magically solve everything in and of itself. Nevertheless, well, we need to be able to think about AI in, in terms of solving our problems as one of our tools, using data-driven approaches, supporting those uh, quicker, better uh, decision sciences. And I think uh, that's the kind of thing that we're we're focused on in our, in our priority. So... Second, allow these finite resources to really focus up the value chain. I think it's fantastic and a nice way to reframe the thinking, if you will, there. Yeah, Jeffrey, yeah. top priority for H2O AI. Well, I think from our perspective is we really want to help, and, and I'll sort of tag on uh, Tim's point, is we want to help the federal government solve these really large 
problems that aren't just in one niche area, but really go across the entire enterprise of government, right? And, and to use AI where it makes sense and to help move really from experimentation into production, right? We're seeing lots and lots and lots of activities. People are all sort of kicking the tires and they've got different use cases. But now how do you take it out of that experimentation phase and begin to scale it and do it rapidly? And this is this is an area where, we're, candidly, we're the absolute leader in the world when it comes to that, moving from experimentation into production. Um, I can say probably in our in our commercial practice, they're moving you know, new data models and, and business cases into production in about two weeks. Well, in, around government, it might be nine months, it might be a year. And so even if you can collapse that a little bit more, you're now able to really help solve these problems and do it quickly. And coming out of the regulated industries, as you as you mentioned earlier, Luke, having everything auditable, right? There's uh, Tim's office has done a, a great, a, a ton of great work around responsible AI and explainable AI, right? If a person who's non-technical, if it's someone in Congress, if they don't understand why decisions are being made, right? They need to make sure a protected class hasn't been affected, or there's some bias in the model that they weren't aware of. Those types of things need to be immediately um, apparent. They need to be documented. They need to be audited. You have to be able to repeat these experiments and so forth. These are things that we do every day in our in our practice that we're now beginning to bring over. So uh, a use case loop, documents, the number of faxes, <laughs> that are processed across the federal government and are still reviewed by humans. It's part of that workflow, understanding. Mm -hmm. uh, in medical areas, for example, in the VA and HHS, these are very technical documents. You can't have a non-qualified person really review them and advance them. And so there are capabilities that allow you to do that. I think another one um, is policy announcements. Any agency, you know, you've got any time a new policy may be uh, announced, it's open for public comment. Well, amazingly, a lot of that work and the review is done by humans, mm. right? You know, this goes to that burnout issue that you, you and Tim both talked about. Well, if there's a way where we can allow machines to do a lot of this pick and shovel work and review, and you have a human in the loop, you have that cognitive component verifying it. Now you're able to say, hey, we don't need to leave this policy open for nine months, not because it needs to be open for nine months, but because it's taking us nine months to review 20,000 comments and and encapsulate those. So for us, I think it's just helping our mission partners and agency partners across government begin to understand what the art of the possible is, getting out of experimentation, moving into production, and they don't have to leave explainability or documentation or repeatability or that audit. That all comes with the deal. That's table stakes these days. And if your technology partner isn't able to show you that, almost instantly, they probably aren't able to do it. It's black boxed and that gets everybody in trouble. Absolutely. Um, well, we're gonna wrap it up. We always like to ask this last question. Saeed, I'm gonna start with you. Uh, just talk about what it's gonna look like in a couple of years. Yeah, this is fantastic. Um, I, I I get this uh, question quite a bit actually. Um, mm -hmm. Two years, five years, or ten years from now, or maybe a decade later, or we, we like to we like to stick with two. We don't like to get out there to five to ten yeah. into Buck Rogers land. 
Perfect. Um, so what we're looking at is an environment where basically we, we're calling our terminology for that is a Fortinet security fabric. What that is, is basically an architecture where you have all these disparate systems, um, you know, integrated tightly together so that if a threat is learned at any uh, point, at any node, at any endpoint, be it in the cloud, uh, in, at your remote office, and especially nowadays because the environment is work from anywhere. Mm -hmm. So you're getting threats from all across, right? Your threat surface uh, has expanded, as I mentioned earlier. So we're looking at this Fortinet security fabric where we learn of something that we have not you know, known before. Leveraging AI and machine learning, we're going to identify that as a as an artifact of interest. Maybe it's suspicious, maybe it's malicious. But once we have determined that in sub-second speed, meaning you know, usually we do that under 100 milliseconds, then we're able to then you know, take that information and spread it across the entire fabric, the architecture that allows you to integrate all these disparate systems. When you do that, then you're able to, with near perfect you know, uh, wording, uh, you're then able to protect your environment, your architecture. And again, it's not just being able to do it on-prem or in the cloud. Uh, it's everything, hybrid. And it doesn't matter where your technology is deployed, you should be able to perform this. And, and having this visibility and being able to manage it centrally, uh, that is going to be our, our future. At machine speed, I love it. Paul, two years from now, what's it going to look like? Yeah, so great question. I really um, think there's a few things that have to happen uh, across the industry to... to, to, to um, Maybe give us uh, one or two. Uh, we're trying to get it all in. Yep, sure. One is, is reciprocity, right? Mm -hmm. So I think everybody's talking about great solutions. One of the biggest challenges we all face around adoption is reciprocity of the ATOs. We have ATOs in civilian DOD Amen. healthcare agencies. But getting these technologies deployed, we have a we have a robust um, ethics and AI framework that's been adopted and signed off by our board. We're doing all the right things, I believe, from uh, uh, getting the bias out of uh, the algorithms and everything else. We have really cutting edge uh, advanced technologies, and we have some very basic things that just help people get their jobs done. But without that reciprocity and without um, some some way to accelerate the security issues um, and, and being able to deploy um, it's going to continue to be a challenge for industry. Very laser focused. We love the idea of reciprocity on on ATOs. We love the idea of reciprocity on uh, clearances as well. So please take a look at that one. Jeffrey, H2O.AI, two years from now, you're firmly entrenched in the public sector. What do we? What can we expect to see at that point in time? Well, I think the future is here already, Luke. And the big challenge is... Um, we sell AI every day, but most entities inside of government have never purchased AI at scale. Mm -hmm. um, and what certainly not as a service. Yeah, certainly not as a service, which I love, by the way, Paul. I, right. We're, right, we're right in lockstep with you there. Um, and so I think part of it is making, you know, two years from now, we've got the right people in the room from an acquisition and a requirements perspective. They understand the mission. There's an understanding of the technology and the capabilities and that it's not peanut butter, that it's brushed across everything, but it's it's focused in the areas that that move the needle, make the most sense, that can be measured, right? You need an ROI on things and so that you can begin to uh, look at AI in the same way you do any other program metric and KPI and things like that. So from our perspective, 
uh, upskilling uh, folks in the in the program management offices, helping them understand what does proper due diligence look like when you're going to buy an AI capability, right? Um, we see there's still a fair amount of buyer's remorse, things that uh, are generalized capabilities, but may not necessarily really apply to the specific mission need. And so I think that training and education, understanding the requirements, the procurement, um, and the due diligence around AI is you have to make sure that you've got people that understand the real problem set um, in the room. And so um, it's very interesting. I think we're in a similar phase where cyber was eight or 10 years ago. Lots of really smart people using some really interesting capabilities to solve problems and now moving into the automation phase and helping them really do that at scale. Uh, no question about it. Really looking forward to that. Certainly the future is definitely now. Um, uh, and uh, and we look forward to that as well. Tim, um, two to three years from now, uh, you all have fully adopted AI. Perhaps the members of lawmakers uh, have a, a, a very good understanding and awareness of this. What can we expect to see maybe from a, whether it's a regulatory standpoint or, or the use of AI at the GAO? On the client side, from our perspective, I think you're going to see um, a sharpening uh, around uh, AI. There's already been, for example, uh, led by Senator Wyden, there was a uh, Algorithmic Accountability Act, which has a lot of you know good content in there about just trying to run AI responsibly. Has been which has been mentioned. So it's it's uh, it. I think it, it, it you're going to see legislation or activities or hearings. I think that go around that. How do we achieve the mission or solve the problems with AI, but do it in a responsible way? And for us, that, that means uh, use or informed by our uh, accountability framework for AI, which not only applies to federal government, we would, we would say it just applies to any use of AI anywhere we want to do that. So I think we'll see increasing uh, interest in, in use in that way. On and Within GAO, I, what we are doing is... Um, we have uh, a uh, the Innovation Lab, uh, as was mentioned before, uh, hired uh, Taka Riga as our chief data scientist, and we're uh, moving really from uh, a small startup phase into a more scaled operation. And so for us, it's going to be a lot of uh, prototypes that are coming out, like the, the one I mentioned before, and then a productionalization process uh, that puts it in and scales it across the enterprise. Uh, the idea being we are solving some key challenges with be it federal burnout or just, you know, if we're doing mind numbing things that that the human the human value can be expressed in other labor categories or, or higher functions. And that's what I think we're, you're going to be seeing. So we'll keep moving on in our mission, uh, de-risking, ideating, uh, prototyping and de-risking those things in our sandbox environment of the lab so that our mission set doesn't have to take that risk. Uh, but we work in parallel, are highly informed by their, their problems. I think we'll see a lot of partnership. And uh, optimistically, I think there's going to be a great awakening across our, our building about, wow, this is going to be, there's a bright future with this if we get this right, uh, as well as uh, what they, our evaluators do across the federal programs. They're going to be able to use our framework and become better evaluators as, as AI proliferates in the federal sector. We're certainly looking forward to that. Uh, General Olson, um, would like to talk to you about uh, what does it look like, uh, you know, two to three years from now? Are we going to have uh, uh, autonomous uh, 
uh, strike fighters out there uh, 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 running on AI? Or what's that going to look like in three years from now? Well, certainly the rate and pace of uh, the application of, of both data analytics and AI ML and, and deep learning uh, capabilities are a pervasive focus uh, across the Department of the Air Force. You know, as we look ahead and, 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 and do a snapshot, I think the quintessential application uh, that, in, that includes a, a, a portfolio-wide approach is, is both the, uh, the, the, the focused utilization across our Secretary of the Air Force operational imperatives, but it's also uh, what we call JADC2, or Joint All Domain Command and Control, and the specific application within the Department of the Air Force is the Advanced Battle Management System, or ABMS. Uh, as, you, as, as, as you can tell, I have a couple of hats. So I am, in addition to the Department of the Air Force Chief Data and AI Officer, I'm the mobilization assistant to the Chief of Space Operations, thus the, uh, uh, the image in the background. But I'm also the Space Force lead for JADC2 and ABMS. And so when we look at the convergence of these areas, when we look at the underpinnings of the digital infrastructure, essentially JADC2 is the ability to sense, make sense, and act across all domains uh, with the joint services in a contested environment at the speed of relevance. And I think that absolutely underscores uh, the quintessential approach. We're trying to leverage machine-to-machine -machine speed. We're trying to leverage the, the, the predictive and, and, and other capabilities, AI, ML readiness. And we're trying to, again, sense, make sense, and act at that, at, at that high-speed a very dynamic cadence that's required. So for the Space Force, that's absolutely leveraging um, decision advantage and information advantage by being able to leverage the information and, and apply that through knowledge and action uh, at the speed of need. In, in the Air Force, uh, as we look at and talk about uh, wingman AI and collaborative combat aircraft, that's absolutely essential to what we're doing. But of course, we don't even fly without maintenance uh, and, and logistics and basing. And these are really complex and challenging endeavors. And we're leveraging uh, data and access to our authoritative data and analytics at speed uh, with AI, ML, and DL capabilities. So these are re really ubiquitous enablers. Uh, is this Buck Rogers? Is this, the, is this Star Wars? Uh, it, is, it, it, is, it, it is on the path. Uh, to leveraging the tremendous capability, but it's really evolutionary, and 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 and, and yet I don't want to um, understate the, the the rate and pace of advancement. And and as we talk with our industry partners and our interagency partners here, it's absolutely essential to work collaboratively. And we think that this is a team sport and driving to uh, deliver those outcomes at a very rapid pace, making sure that we're responsible, we're robust and we're resilient all throughout the, the, the journey is, is an integral part. So I'm really enthused about the future. I think what we're seeing is uh, year by year, actually month by month, uh, we're making extraordinary progress. We've got a lot to do um, and we're laser focused on that. It really does seem like a uh, sort of a hockey stick sort of acceleration of the adoption of this technology. So we really do appreciate that. And we certainly do want to thank all of you for taking the time out of your busy schedules to join us for this program. And I'd like to thank the sponsors for supporting us on this show. I'd like to thank the good people here at Federal News Network that make the program so successful and enjoyable. And most of all, I'd like to thank the listening audience out there that tune in every month. You've been listening to the Federal Executive Forum, part of the Federal News Network.
Thank you for listening to the Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Network. This show was produced by Treza Media Group. If you missed any portion of this show, you can listen to the show in its entirety and on demand at federalnewsnetwork.com.